everybody, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined, as I am every week, by the good doctor, Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, sir. What's up, man? How are you? I'm well. How are you? You know, as we were uh, as we were discussing beforehand, uh, I'm well. I'm I'm doing well. I uh, I am I'm tired today. I am. Uh, it's my, been a long, boring week with the Oklahoma legislature. My tank, my tank's not. It's not like on E, but it's like I think the like the lights on. You know what I mean? The lights on. Huh? The lights on, saying like you have you have forty. You've got 40 miles left. So I think my car is subject to, there's a there's a recall with Subarus. Oh, you may have this problem too, where the the little, the screen that tells you how many miles you have is not accurate. So mine says 50 miles. But really it's like five. And then about, yeah, and about 10 miles later, I like was choking out of gas going up a hill. I, I will have to uh, look into that. You should definitely tell your wife to look into that. But how are you? Uh, also, I'm good. Tired, but uh, ready. It's been a it has been a uh, long, quiet week with the legislature. I've not had much time to pay attention. What well, live? I've read a bunch of articles. Well, and I have paid uh, relatively close attention live, and it is it is exhausting either way that you do it because you know. So we had last week, right? Was it last week? Two weeks ago? Last week that uh, was uh, the deadline, deadline for week, yeah. bills to be heard out of committee. So we passed that. The total number of bills got uh, whittled down from you know just just a shade under three thousand to what like twelve hundred ish. Yeah, something that like sounds, that. Something like that sounds about right. Um, yeah. But then they have until next week <laughs> to have them heard on the floor. So like the house has been hearing like I mean literally like sixty bills a day. Um, and so if you follow you know like e capital or if you follow the house Twitter accounts. I mean, it's like I just see it in my brief. feed where it's like bill, 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 bill right? Bill. Like yeah. you know, usually, usually my uh, my like my I have a, a list that's just like news from the Capitol, and even on a relatively busy day, like maybe the whole day, there's like 200 tweets, but um, you know, I'll like refresh it two hours later, and it's like 179. Two hours later, 180. Like Man. it's very like <laughs> it's just I should bill just, after bill after bill after bill. I should just follow your list. That would make my life a lot easier. I, I keep meaning to go through and organize it just like I've been meaning to go through and organize my iTunes for about 12 years. Oh, no, it's great. Like, I almost actually never, I almost never use my main Twitter feed because yeah. I follow Twitter mostly for like through your lists. Yeah. Like, and so it, it makes so, like it makes it so much more manageable. So, yeah, if you're interested, uh, get on, find me on Twitter at SC Melson and subscribe to my OK Capital uh, list for all your, all your capital updates. Interesting. Well, that's, that's good to know, uh, Scott. Let's um, let's get into the news. This may be my favorite sound effect that I have on here. I, reorgan- I reorganized and I did not hit the wrong one that time. So, um, so this week, well, we're going to be joined later in this episode by State Senator Julia Kurt. Uh, she'll be here in about twenty minutes or so, and uh, we're going to talk with her about the state agency head appointment process that's changing. Right. So we'll table that until senator kurt arrives uh but first i want to mention that next week uh next week begins march uh 11th through the 15th or something yes so this uh that week is considered sunshine week which is a maybe not a national holiday but a nationally recognized event should Uh, be a national holiday yes it should be this is not about weather this is not a meteorological event but this is a is about government transparency and as uh, as our listeners know i Another hat that I wear is the executive director of Freedom of Information Oklahoma, which is a, a government transparency um, organization we we promoted. We um, try to help advocate for transparency, Open Records Act, Open Meeting Act, adherence to those laws. FOIO. Yeah, FOIO. 
But so some people, excuse me, some people don't like FOIA because FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, Act. which is the national legislation, is well known. People use it as a verb. I got FOIA'd. Um, but by FOIO. Right. It could be. Yeah. We could be a, an acronym. Anyway, FOI Oklahoma. FOIO, FOIA'd me. My wife says FOI. Oklahoma. I love it. Um, I love it. So, uh, so Sunshine Week is a big deal. We, I just joined the organization last summer, and it hasn't been a big focus for us, I guess, the last few years. But I'm hoping to. Uh, we're gonna have several blog posts. So if you don't uh, follow FOI Oklahoma on Twitter, you should. Um, I definitely have some support over there. I'm not the only one that runs that. In fact, a couple of our board members are pretty heavy tweeters. A lot of it's just sharing stories that are of interest with government transparency. But next week, we're going to have a number of blog posts, uh, some op-eds in, a, in papers statewide, really t- discussing this. And a lot of this comes down to two things, right? One, that we are paying for government services. We're all taxpayers, and thus these services and the decisions made and the money spent should be open and accessible and visible to the public, right? I think we all kind of get that. And then also that the Oklahoma legislature when we passed our Open Records and Open Meeting Act laws here in this state, the legislature exempted themselves from those laws. So every other state agency is subject, but the legislature is not. And that seems wrong. It's not great. It's not It's not ideal. Right. So, um, so one of the articles that we identified this week to discuss and we'll put on the blog post with this is actually not from this week. This is an older article, right? Yeah, this is from 2015. So this is a piece way, way back. Yeah, from, from a whole four years ago. Um, so this is a piece that is published by the Sunline Foundation, and we're we'll kind of tease it here because we're going to talk about this more with Senator Senator Kurt. But um, they did a study, or rather, they're reporting on a study that was done uh, by Public Integrity, Public the Center on Public Integrity, uh, where they looked at state by state, how accountable and transparent um, is your state government? They ranked uh, the states uh, on a composite score, um, and then they ranked each state by several different criteria. I'm not going to tell you where Oklahoma is. You're going to have to. You're going to have to look it up to find out. Now, I will tell you uh, the grades are on an A B C D E A B C D E an A B C D F scale, <clears throat> which I assume most of us are familiar with from our primary and secondary school days at least part of those letters yes uh a b c d f um no state received an a or a b the highest uh the highest uh, graded states got c's um most states got d's there were 11 states that got f's and if you want to know where oklahoma stands you will either have to go read the study or uh hang on for the rest of the hour and listen to our discussion with uh, senator kurt i i'll give you three guesses but you only need one we are not a top 10 state in, in this, <laughs> well, in this de- area. It depends on what you mean by top 10. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we're, we're in a 10th in a of one, yes. one 20th of the, of the U.S. There you go. Um, so, yeah, let's but talk we'll, more about that. So, we'll, but seriously. We'll, we'll post that up on the we'll – post, we'll post a link to it on the blog for sure, but we're going to talk about it with Senator Kurt as well. Um, yeah. I, it was, it was, it's a fascinating study. Well, so one of the interesting things that uh, some of our listeners may not know is that of the two candidates who were running for governor last year, Governor Stitt, who won, and then Drew Edmondson, who lost, he was the former attorney general. I don't know that he was in office at the time that those laws passed, but he was a legitimately a huge champion for freedom of information in our state. 
Um, he, before I, I'm looking back through records cause FOI Oklahoma has been around for 20 something years. Um, and so I've got like bins of records that I received. And so looking back at some of those old records, um, he did a whole bunch of like statewide, uh, trainings and things on behalf of the organization. And we, they would go around to like sheriff's offices, city governments, really whoever wanted it and provide training by the attorney general on open record act, open meeting act. And uh, so early in his campaign for governor, it didn't stick. Well, no, that's true. Not everyone is uh, as much of a champion of this as as uh, what's General Edmondson. Is that the attorney general? Att- attorney general Edmondson. I so, but early in his in his gubernatorial campaign, uh, they reached out to me as director of that organization and said, "Hey, what do you? We want to talk to you, and you know, where what do you want to see from our administration? Should we win?" And I said, "Well." we would like to see the legislature subject to open records. And he's, I said, what do you have in mind? And he said, well, I'm going to appoint a ombudsman for government, uh, for like open records requests so that every state agency would kind of get funneled through this one person. Some concern about backlog there, but also how nice would it be to have one dedicated office for all the state agencies that have the same uniform forms and everything could be kind of a clearinghouse for those records. I imagine be part of like OMES. That would kind of make sense, but, Anyway, he lost, so that obviously didn't happen. Well, I think that that's an that's an interesting like this whole kind of what you're talking about with freedom of freedom of information and open records is interesting because the de- you know the debate one of the things that we're talking about or the main thing we're talking about with Senator Kurt is this the discussion that's been happening really ever since the election, but especially since the legislature came into session about the governor wanting to have appointment authority over the five the directors of the five largest state agencies and wanting that in the interest of transparency and accountability. And the discussion has centered both in committee and on the floor in both houses of the legislature about whether doing this increases or decreases transparency. And one of the things that's an accountability, one of the things that I found most fascinating about this study from Center for Public Integrity and the Sunlight Foundation is that, and one of the things that's frustrating to me about this whole debate is that there are real tangible things that are one possible and two relatively easy to implement and do that would dramatically increase government accountability and transparency. And it has nothing to do with who runs state agencies, right? Like, right. like, well, and, like and, we're, we're arguing about this thing that like doesn't actually matter. Right. As often happens in government, especially in this state. And I will, I will say governor Stitt has publicly uh, talked a lot about transparency and the need for greater transparency. And it's true. He, uh, and he's outlined some things like putting the state checkbook online and some of that stuff. And that is already exists to a degree, but um, so I'm curious to see what it looks like. And as you said, we'll get more into that discussion about the agency heads. I have some feelings about that. Um, And that'll be back in about 15, 20 minutes when Senator Kurt arrives. Indeed. But on a somewhat related note, the Oklahoma healthcare authority, this is our next article. Um, So this week, governor Stitt announced that he was, requesting the attorney general's office no excuse me the state auditor um their office who's now cindy bird um if uh, you're watching online this is me rubbing my temples if you're listening that's you can maybe hear in response to the story can you rub it really right next to the microphone there's a little something there if you turn <laughs> your speakers up uh, <laughs> um so uh the sound of stress the uh, so the, the governor requested the auditor's office to do a performance audit of the healthcare authority. And just 
for anyone who's kind of just tuning in, the healthcare authority is the agency that runs Medicaid. This is not the Department of Health, right? So this Correct. is not the agency that was like thirty million in the hole last year, but wasn't actually thirty million in the hole, and so now we got thirty million back, and they fired a bunch of people who are now suing them. Hold, that's a that's a different Department of Health. Right, that's the is, State Department of Health. This is the healthcare authority, which is the administrative agency for Medicaid. Right. Yeah. Medicaid, student care. So yeah. So here, the the quick and dirty version is. The governor has now requested that the auditor do a performance audit of the healthcare authority. This is on top of the audits that occur annually, maybe quarterly, I think, by CMS, which is the the feds, right? The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. So the feds do, I think it's quarterly audits. The healthcare authority audits their Medicaid roles, right? And, and all these audits are supposedly looking for people who are receiving Medicaid that shouldn't. Right, so like to kick them off the rules. Um, so, so the feds audit it. The healthcare authority already checks that significantly, and you have to like renew every few months, right? So, like this is an ongoing thing. The now the auditor is going to look at it, and last year there was a um, a bill that passed called the Hope Act. It has nothing to do with hope; it's just an acronym uh, that that the state that defines the state's going to contract with a third party company to come in and audit our Medicaid roles. But what's interesting about that contract is that they don't only get paid if they find like waste, fraud and abuse, which means they have an incentive to find it. Right. right? If they don't, if they audit it and they, and they spend, let's say $2 million, right. Of the, you know, time and effort, right. The cost of personnel and all that, they audit it for six months and they don't, and they don't find anything or they find a few people. They'll undoubtedly find a few folks those few folks might be people who would be caught anyway, right? Like, so let's say you have to renew every six months and four months in you get a new job and you get insurance, but you haven't disenrolled yet. And they, they find it like, Oh, they kick you off. Well, the systems built in self checks would have caught you in two months anyway. Yeah. Like, and Medicaid only costs money if you use it. Right. And the other thing is, it's not like we don't have data on what the fraud rate on Medicaid is already. Uh, the fraud rate for Medicaid enrollees, like for Sooner Care beneficiaries, people who have Sooner Care as their insurance, I mean, it's estimated in Oklahoma to be like, I mean, it's literally like 0.1, Like it is, right. yeah, it is one-tenth of 1%. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's, it's very, very small. Um, and so it's, it's something that we know is not non-existent, but nearly non-existent. It is so small as to be an insignificant cost. Number right. one, um, number two, it's so it's going to cost way more to audit than we have any chance of seeing in savings, unless, unless we use this we use this audit as an opportunity to put in place new barriers for people to like renew if we increase the administrative process for people to right. to renew their sooner care and so it becomes burdensome and so they don't renew then that's that is where the savings are going to come from and the savings if there are going to be had are going to come from taking away people's insurance with new administrative barriers but the other thing is in addition to the audits that are already required there's the hope act audit there's the other two that andy mentioned that these are all looking at the same thing well right and, like the state audit like they're all the three separate audits at the same time looking at the same thing and they're all in addition to the quarterly audits that are done by the healthcare authority and by the feds. I mean, you know, if you listen to this show that I, I think we would be of the mindset that 
with the average state agency in Oklahoma having their funding cut by 40% over the last 10 years, there's not a whole lot of waste like left, right? <laughs> right? Like, and that's not me saying this. That's Governor Fallon saying this. That's uh, no state. No listening to her, though. Well, I mean, it's true. This uh, labor commissioner, Leslie Osborne, has said that. She said it on this show. Um, I believe uh, state auditor, former state auditor and inspector Gary Jones has said something similar here on the show that like this massive fraud and abuse and waste like just doesn't, it just doesn't exist. If for no other reason, then like the funding has been cut so much that what's left is the bare minimum. But um, even if you assume that there is a ton of fraud and waste and abuse in state government, it's not in sooner care. Like it's not like, and I don't understand why we are so convinced that there's this massive hidden population of people who are just like living large on their sooner care benefits, um, even though they don't deserve them. Well, and also you can't live large. There's no cash involved. You would just get health care. Right, right, but right, but that's what it's not like it provides like money or anything. Right, but that's what like that's what I'm saying. Like, what is this? Like, I really would like, and if I, if if Governor Stitt was here, I would ask him like respectfully, but like, what is this obsession with trying to find people who are getting sooner care that so, don't deserve it? So. A couple of thoughts about that. and You and I have kind of discussed this issue this week. And if you follow me on Twitter at AndyOKC, I was kind of discussing this yesterday as well uh, on Thursday. But it's here's my thought. Okay, this is this is Andy's two cents. I need a I need a sound effect for this. But I think the a couple of things might be happening. One is that there's a rec- there could be a recognition that this Hope Act contract is not going to be worth its salt or at least could be contentious, right? And so why not just use the state auditor that we've we're already paying for and have them do the audit? And that if that doesn't find anything, then I mean we don't need to contract with them, right? And not and that would save some money. Um my concern is that if we are doing multiple checks, like multiple concurrent audits, for one is a duplication of services. And for a state that is very concerned about duplication of effort and spending money unwisely, it seems odd. Oh, it seems odd we do it. We forgot one. There's another audit on top of this. The um, oh, agency accountability. Yeah, yeah. The, the state agency, and uh, or mm, I forget the acronym. It's agency and performance accountability yeah. commission or something like that. The um, yeah. So there's that's a whole. It's a new commission that was formed last year, I think, for this purpose. And OHCA is one of the first twelve they're going to go audit. So we're going to have right. It's three. It's three audits that are going on at the same time looking for the same thing right now, so i will say no, well that's five so there's this there's the feds or cms there's the checks that ohca already does themselves yeah, there's I internal was, i wasn't counting those two okay because that's part of how it's yeah. run right right so there's cms that actually does audits to make sure then there's the state auditor there's the agency accountability and there's the hope act contracty contractor right like to assume to assume that the hope act and the agency accountability like uh, the agency uh, performance and accountability commission again, whatever it's called to assume that those have any value. You either don't know that CMS and is already auditing Medicaid, or you think that they're not doing it properly. You don't know that Medicaid itself audits Medicaid, or you don't know that it's doing it properly, or you think that the state auditor inspector's office is not capable of doing a performance audit, which I would argue that they are right. Right. And I, apparently the governor thinks they are too, because he asked them to. So like, I just don't well, like, if- it's so it's just, what if they all three have different findings? And like, what what if the Hope Act contractor finds the most? Well, that's, I mean, that's, of course they're going to find the most. Because they have an incentive yeah, to do so. Right. But, I think, they get, but they don't get paid unless they do. But that's a subtle thing that I think we need to pay attention to, right? Because 
someone out here, one of us in the public, maybe the one that has to raise the flag and be like, Hey, uh, question, you know, asking for taxpayers, why are we paying for three audits at the same time? Yes. I would submit that one of our friendly neighborhood journalists should ask that question at the next press conference. The governor has where he doesn't take questions. (laughs) (laughs) Also, how much are these costing, right? Like, What's the what's the amount of effort that these things are going to cost? And I mean, I know state auditor or former state auditor Jones told us that I think like on average there, I mean, it obviously depends on the size of the agency and the scope of the audit, but like his agency could do it for like four or $500,000, something like right, that. Right, but because... About half a million, whereas these outside contractors will do it for like 1.5 to 2. Because like they're making a profit, right? Like, right, it's about three times as expensive to have a private contractor. Right, because uh, the auditor's office or the agency accountability folks are going to do it for the actual cost of doing the audit, not for the cost plus some profit. Right. Well, and I mean, some people would say, I think that the state auditor's office is not staffed well enough to do these audits. I would say, one, that's not true. And two, it would still be exponentially cheaper to staff them appropriately so that they can do these audits than it is to pay a private contractor. But um, we're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit here. But suffice it to say, this is is an issue that, one, is definitely worthy of your time. Two, um, it's important, I think, for all of us to understand. And we will be following it closely because this is not something that's going to go away. This is going to be an ongoing kind of issue in the news for at least the next several months, if not the next year. Yeah. All right. uh, Real quick, let's um, talk about one last article. And this was in the Washington Post, I think, um, about... 30,000 Oklahoma, Oklahoma has lost 30,000 teachers in the past six years. Is that correct? Yes. That is indeed staggering. And that's really all I'm going to say about it. Go to the Washington Post, read the article. It speaks for itself. And you can ask yourself the question, uh, is the $6,000 raise from last year and an additional $1,200 this year? Do you think that's going to be enough to get these 30,000 teachers back? Oh, by the way, Texas, which was already ahead, just gave their teachers a $5,000 raise. So... In terms of being uh, dun, dun, dun. in terms of being top ten, we uh, we already just got number one in the region and top ten in the country. We uh, we just got pushed back by another five grand. Got beat again. All right, well let's uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have uh, Senator Julia Kurt. Okay. Hey, we're back with State Senator Julia Kurt. Senator, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. As, this is your first time on the podcast. It sure is. Man, well, you haven't been in office that long. Yeah. But I couldn't... I we guess could we have talked during the campaign at some time. Yeah, it never happened. You were a little busy. Mm-hmm. And in full disclosure, Senator Kurt, you and I live on the same street even. Yay. Which is uh, very convenient. If I have an issue, I can just walk down the street and like... I'm really glad you moved to the district in time to vote. <laughs> That's true. My wife already lived in the district, but just barely because... You're, how far south does your district go? Right there, 16th Street. 16th, okay. Mm-hmm. So she lived on like 20th. Okay. We only moved like half a mile. So, nice. Um, very convenient. Well, thanks for thanks for joining us. And as we said earlier in the episode, one of the things we wanted to talk to you most about, we're certainly happy to hear anything about your experience so far at the Capitol as a legislator, but specifically uh, this week and last week, it's been a lot of discussion about the plans to change how agency heads are appointed and i know they've changed the wording of these bills a few times can you tell us a little bit about where things are at right now yeah the um bills that were agreed upon by the majority party and the governor ended up uh not eliminating the boards but changing the structure so that the directors are directly appointed the agency directors are appointed by the governor um there's some there's senate confirmation 
there is some uh, some uh, con- consultation with the Senate. Okay. And then the boards are they change the split on how the boards are per, are, are appointed. So like the the governor gets the majority. Mm-hmm. All the boards are going to be nine. The governor gets the majority. Then there's two from the House, two from the Senate. And so the idea being that they shifted the power and control to the governor. Right. So yeah, those headphones messing up. Mm-hmm. We'll wiggle this. I got it. Yep. Did you get it? Okay. Mm-hmm. They're cheap. <laughs> We're on a low budget operation. I, I talk here. with my hands, so it's a problem for cords. Oh, you know? that's true. Yeah. I don't know if we can do, we can't do four Bluetooth headsets, nor, uh, nor can we afford right. them. No, that way, no, we don't have our, 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 our set, we're not set up for that. Maybe yeah. one day we'll, we'll get that grant and then we'll, <laughs> then right. we'll, we'll buy headphones. So they've shifted, you know, I, I think the governor's proposal initially he wanted, well, the, the bills that were proposed by Senator Treat, right, wanted to get rid of the boards entirely and give the governor appointment authority. Um, the House kind of balked at that a little bit, and so they came up with this compromise that you described. Um, and if I recall, the votes on these all they all all the bills passed the House and the Senate respectively through their committees. The ones that have been heard on the floor so far have passed largely on party lines. Is that right? Yeah, I haven't looked at the House votes, but on Senate Senate side, it's all been party lines. Sure, sure. Um, I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask you about. So I've been a little like watching this kind of the debate over this issue I can kind of I can kind of see both sides I think and jump in if I'm wrong it seems like the position of the the majority has been this is necessary by giving the governor appointment power he or she can have kind of a more direct role in kind of policy crafting the direction of the agency and also people can more directly hold him or her accountable for the agency's performance whereas I think that the Dems argument has been well, one of the th- one of the reasons we have boards is that they are not as prone to kind of partisan, you know, the, the partisan changes in the wind, and it's easier for people to understand what the agencies are doing because the boards are subject to open meetings. Is that right? Yeah, that's the gist of it. I mean, part of it is that we haven't been involved with the negotiations, so I actually don't know how some of these things would play out. Um, I mean, I was in the Rules Committee where we reviewed um, Senator Treat's new bills and then the House bills. The other day so I've looked at them more than my colleagues have gotten to but you know how will that play out you know you get rid of if you take any board you know I'm from a nonprofit sector or if you're a, a government sector and you take away the board's ability to hire and fire the lead administrator how does that change that whole relationship you know what is the board's responsibility then you know boards are not perfect I've been on boards I've managed boards um, in no way are they perfect but they're part of that public process and how you engage with the community so I just want to make sure there's real responsibility there and that people at the table feel like they have the ability to raise red flags, to um, plan, to think ahead, to use their expertise. Um, So those were some of my biggest concerns. And then the other thing is just, I mean, along with those lines is we have, we don't talk about the details. We don't talk about the implementation. I think it's this tendency and desire to simplify things um, when I don't think it's a simple process. You're talking about serving almost 4 million Oklahomans. You're talking about very complex budgets and services it's not simple. We can't pretend that it is. Preach. You're like, this is like, Andy will tell you, this is something I say like all the time. And I have, I have politicians that I don't agree with. And I have politicians that are close friends of mine who always say, we just need like common sense. And I'm like, there is no common sense solution to providing healthcare for 4 million people. Like that doesn't exist, right? There's no common sense solution to like, like, like these things are just like what you're saying. They are these are complicated policy issues 
and they're complicated problems and oftentimes complicated problems have complicated solutions and that's okay. Um, so that's, I, I digress, but thank you for, I that. wish it was easier. <laughs> right? I do. I wish it was easier. Well, what? and sorry to jump in, but I, on the note of simplicity, cause Scott and I talked about this a lot this week that I, uh, leader virgin in the house and talking about this framed it in terms of the, the boards would not be sub or might not be subject to the open meeting act. And I don't know if that's true. And, so if you can answer that. The, the part of the uh, the statutes that were being amended in the bills I saw didn't specify one way or the other, mm-hmm. I don't think. However, mm-hmm. I didn't get to look. I haven't yet looked in detail at the Department of Transportation one. So um, honestly, I didn't double check that. Because right. it was in the statutes. I don't remember it being removed. Basically, what they did with those bills was take out the word board or commission and sub in the word administrator or director Right. And then they had the new nominations process. Well, and so that was one of my questions is if that that's not the case. Also, just tongue in cheek, it's always a little funny to me when someone from an entity that is not subject to open meetings touts the value of open I'm like, transparencies. Well, yeah, like yeah. also you could make yourself subject to it. That'd yeah, be cool. But that's uh, well, hey, that's well. And what about the governor's records? I actually don't know. His are subject. Right. They are subject. Literally everyone except for the legislature. Well, and unless, yeah, and unless the unless something in these new statutes changes it, the boards are. But and I'm going to say more about this here in a second. But I, so as one does, I actually got online and watched the entire rules committee meeting nice. when uh, Senator Treat was presenting the first one. Yeah, when he okay. was presenting his bills, that was the exciting one for me. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> and so I want to say because one of the things that one of the things that I've actually been a little frustrated about the debate around this because I honestly I honestly for a bunch of reasons feel like it doesn't really matter um the exception to that and I'm not just saying this because you're here um you asked a couple of questions in that hearing that I thought were really important and were the kinds of questions that I wish more people were asking if I recall you asked another treat um something along the lines of how many other states do this? Like, how many other states use oh, yeah. boards? How that many other states Senator use Freeman. commissions? Yeah. Oh, okay, that yep. was all right. Well, yeah, that, give props to my colleague. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, do you happen to know if she ever got the answer to that question? She did not. She did not receive it. I did some research on my own and had a, an intern do it. It's all over the place. Um, <laughs> but we started making a, a spreadsheet, and we were oh, hoping we, that, I can share my data with you. because <laughs> yes. like I was, we would I was looking at. I mean, I it's like, kind of is... maybe too late for these changes. Well, um, people like to know, though. Yeah. Well. But the reason I think that that's an important question is because we're having this debate about, you know, do we use boards and commissions? Do we use directors? Do we use some combination of both? And to me, the question is not even so much like which one of those is right, but like, are there ways that we can make our government more transparent and more accountable? What are those ways? And those are the things that we should be doing. And Strive, if having, yeah. Yeah, having directors instead of one, if, if, if having directors instead of boards is one of those things, fine. If having boards instead of directors or using some combination of one of those things, fine. But I, I started doing some reading, and there's this study from uh, the Center for Public Integrity um, that was done in 2015 where they actually went through, and they came up with 11 different criteria that they looked at every state government and gave them a ranking on how like transparent and accountable they are. And, right. and it's uh, Oklahoma. Well, I mean, on the one hand, everything's relative, right? So of the 50 states, no one got an A or a B. Um, there were like four states that got Cs. Most people got Ds. Wow. Oklahoma, one of the 11 that got an F. All right. But we were the highest. We were the highest F, right? So if there were like, if we it were, was 50 to 59, we were like the 59. So uh, does that mean we were the best worst or the worst worst? 
uh, we were the we were the best of the worst. So we are hmm. if you go we are the we're the first F. So it goes D F and then so it's like So what kind of criteria are we talking so, about? So so look at uh, so they looked at public access to information, political financing, electoral oversight, executive accountability, legislative accountability, judicial accountability, state budget processes, state civil service management, procurement, auditing, lobbying disclosure, ethics enforcement, and state fe- state pension fund management. There are two areas where we actually do really well. Oklahoma scores really high in procurement and internal auditing. Nice. Um, uh, just for all the people that talk about all the waste and abuse, if you could reference that, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Send me, send me the link. <laughs> and then political financing, we actually score really high too, but everywhere mm-hmm. else we're not doing very well. And so to me, like... I'm not a policymaker. I just get to sit here and talk about it, right? But like, I I feel like that we as a state would all do better if we were kind of going out and looking for these kinds of things rather than like, okay, so like the governor appoints the directors now. Is it it's more of us account? I mean, you should, right. what are your th- what are your thoughts? I'm talking. well. I agree. I mean, it's been a huge frustration for me, and you know, you know, years from now, I may look back and laugh at myself about this since I'm brand new, but. As a new person, I'm pretty alarmed at how much legislation I don't think has been fully vetted or thought through or baked well, or has not involved the public in any way. So, you know, we're seeing hundreds of bills every week, and many of them, we're just relying on the integrity of the author. We're hoping that what they've said they've done, they've done. We don't know that they've consulted with those who would be um, impacted. Uh, whether they be a sector, whether they be the agency, whether they be those served, what I see is a lot of legislation in a vacuum, um, echo chamber kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, if and and so far, when I ask questions, I'm sometimes not real welcome. You know that that maybe people are a little annoyed, <laughs> sure. like I'm slowing them down. Um, and I feel like these things need to be well vetted. Like last finance committee last week was really aggravating to me because we had three or four bills where they struck title, so they're officially slowing it down, and just said, this is a work in progress. And I'm like, we're at the committee deadline. Like, why at this point, why does this bill have to move forward this year? Um, You know, maybe someday I'm going to understand this because there's some urgent thing that needs to change. But Mm. when we're talking about, you know, a third of our policies or a quarter of our policies are literally we're saying these are still a work in progress, like, that concerns me greatly. And, you know, I care a lot about involving people and how people have a voice, and our system just doesn't have a lot of place for that we expect people to speak up because they're concerned about something but you know the even finding out what's happening and what's on the agenda is very difficult you know i'm in the legislature with people helping mm-hmm. me know what's on my agenda and i still won't know to the last second well that's yeah because it changes like up to the minute right like mm-hmm. or your agenda can be all shell bills and you don't get language until yeah like, not in the senate we don't do shell bills but okay. they can change them completely i mean that to me that's the people have to ask for that you know, and that's something I heard on the doorstep over and over again was a concern about um, corruption. There was lots of distrust and lots of fear about corruption. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my first blanche is I'm more worried about um, incomplete work. You right. Know? Right. I, you know, I've heard this from you before. In fact, uh, last week you were on News OK's Political yeah. State podcast yeah. and said some of the same things. And um, I was in my car nodding like, yeah, I've always wondered why we have so many things. Like, well, it's not done yet, but just send it on through. Um, because especially when it comes to laws, like I didn't get that passed when I was in college, right? Like, oh, here's a paper. I'm going to turn it in and I'll finish it before the end of the semester. But just go ahead and just keep it on there. Well, the one thing I've heard, which, you know, being a freshman in the minority party, it's not in my... <laughs> 
world yet, but is that it, it can be a way to bring people to the table. If you're truly trying to, trying to negotiate a deal on something, having legislation sitting there mm-hmm. ready to go can actually force that conversation to truly happen. Right. Of course, I haven't experienced that yet, but I don't, that can't <laughs> be the vast majority of what we're looking at. No, I'm sure. And so another question kind of related to transparency and, and including this process with agency heads is it seems to me in some ways that maybe, um, having one person like having the governor be the one to appoint these people is, is definitely more simplistic. And in some ways it could be seen as a more transparent process because then if we have a problem with that agency director, we know who put them there. Like right now I couldn't name you a single person on any border commission for any of these things. And if someone gets appointed, we're like, well, I don't know. Some people's on board did it. Like, and so it feels like we are, we are putting our, we're expected to put our trust into the hands of unelected, nameless bureaucrats who were. Even, yeah, they're actually not bureaucrats because they're not. That's true. They're they not employed. They're but, not employed by the state. Well, they're getting called bureaucrats now, and I'm like, these are like Joe Blow citizen volunteers, right. generally. Right. Generally, um, wealthier people. Right. I mean, to be honest. Right. You know? Who were appointed by. Generally, the governor. The governor yeah. or uh, or legislative leaders, yeah. and regardless, so it. So there's an appointment process involved anyway. And so it's like, well, we're appointing people who will then hire somebody. What if we just cut out the middleman rather than rather than ruling by committee? Do you think, I don't know, it just seems to me like well, to I, the masses, it would be That's easier. why people want it, I think. I mean, that's I think people see it as straightforward. Um, I think, you know, one challenge with that is, I mean, the governor's only reelected every four years. So that means you could have complete ineptitude for three to four years mm-hmm. before you'd reelect. Number two, what happens with the political process in terms of decision-making inside those agencies if they know their leadership could change? Right. So, you know, what happens at the federal level is agencies hunker down. They don't want to make ambitious plans or changes right. in an election year because the person could be gone right. tomorrow. The other big challenge is if they change regularly, which this will depend on what, you know, does the governor want to change regularly? We won't know. But if they keep expertise in place, they have time to build up. Um, networks, relationships, plans, if they're changing regularly, basically your deputy ends up running the agency. Right. The other person's coming in trying to get up to speed all the time. The federal people I met were appointed. You know, they had relationships. They were trying to represent certain geographies. They were trying to learn the whole agency overnight and try to run it. And so basically the deputy director was running right. it. Sure, I'm sure at like the EPA that's been the case because, I mean, they had Pruitt <laughs> in there and then out and then they got somebody else and like it's been a... Because this happens at the federal level, right? Right. This is how it, the fe- there's a lot of positions at the federal right. level. And I don't change. think, yeah, I don't think anybody in Oklahoma would say that the feds run their government better than what we do here. There may, maybe it's equal frustration or ineptitude and sometimes, but certainly not better up there. And, and so we might not should mimic their system. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, because one of the things, if I, if I understand the bills correctly, is that... So now the governor will have appointment authority for the executive director, but the boards will still be there. And the governor will have majority appointments on the boards, but the boards are like rule making mm-hmm. for the for the agency is still the exclusive purview of the board. Is that right? I, you know, I didn't. It didn't change, so I assume so. Okay. I assume yeah. that they. But then those come through the Senate for for right. uh, approval. Right. Yeah, and also the legislature can like can fire by a two-thirds majority vote in both chambers. Can you imagine what it would take to get two-thirds of the legislature on each side? To fire somebody? like Uh, And the governor not do it? It's hard to imagine how that would happen. 50,000 people on the Capitol doorstep? It would take a lot. Well, and I think, I mean, if if that's the case, 
I would imagine the governor is leaning heavily on that person. Or the like, governor's in the middle of whatever the crisis yeah, is. Yeah, right. But anyway, yes, yeah. there is that The check. governor's slept the agency that. had. But yeah, the rulemaking process. So the two things that, you know, Senator Floyd brought up a lot, who's our caucus leader, was one was um, concerns because we don't have a robust confirmation process now. It's really just been traditionally kind of a rubber stamp where, mm-hmm. like, if somebody's from my district who's getting nominated to a board or to the directorship, officially I carry their nomination. But there's not been an encouragement for that senator to really vet the person. There's no disclosures that are required. There's no expertise requirement. So it, you know, that's one of the things why we were asking a lot of questions about that was, well, right. are we going to beef up that process, have financial disclosures if we truly care about conflicts of interest and their, and their expertise? Um, that was, I mean, I think that's the biggest one. And then my big concern is the at-will thing. Because I think if you want strong leadership is sometimes not going to be popular in the moment. Right. You know, and I think you think about like if let's say Chris Steele and criminal justice reform, like finally we have the political will that mostly agrees with Chris Steele that that we need to be smart on crime, not tough on crime. Right. But 30 years ago, his message was unwelcome. Yeah. And if he was on those boards, he probably would get ousted because right. it's unwelcome to say that we're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Right. So are we going to allow real robust debate? informed decision making are we going to trust when things change are we going to listen to people yeah. that's what i worry about with at will because right. when because political will shifts pretty dramatically well i mean it's still nuts to me about every week i have this thought of like holy crap in the past two years we legalized medical marijuana we expanded our liquor laws um there's discussion that before the year's out we might even expand medicaid in some capacity and these are things none of which were on the table when i started this organization three years ago like you could not have passed them if you paid off everybody right like and it's just weird that all of a sudden 780 781 retroactivity all that stuff like wasn't on the table three years ago and now we take a lot of it for granted it's funny how quickly that stuff does shift mm-hmm. yeah it's like some, someone's pushing it along for 20 years and then Right. Other things happen very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Senator, we're about out of time for today, but anything, um, uh, any last minute like words of advice or uh, impressions you have so far of the of being in the legislature? Well, <clears throat> in terms of words of advice, I do know you have a very active following of people who are engaged citizens. And I think just to encourage them, if they think something's confusing or they think something's purposely obscure or something's purposely hidden, to speak up about it because, I mean, I'm inside there and I'm being fed the information that's the official information and I'm still constantly like not getting enough information and mm-hmm. don't know what's happening next. And I think I, I would love to see our public demand higher standards for allowing advocates into the process, making sure people know what's coming. I mean, we expect people to speak up to us if they have a problem with a bill. Like on the floor this week, we had someone who was changing something dramatic that would impact cities and counties. And, you know, we asked, well, what is the municipal league? And he said, well, they haven't told me they have a problem with it. So then that relies on those those right. advocates have to know and ask and, and, and complain. I haven't um, told them I'm doing this, but they haven't said it's a problem. Right. So, I, I mean, I know that people are i think voters are the most likely to get um some traction with complaining about that frankly frankly that's great that's good advice i appreciate that um and then other observations Ah, just stay engaged i'm glad i mean i think there's been a revival in terms of people being civically engaged at the state level and i'm thrilled about that i mean i feel like i was kind of part of that i it's like my eyes opened over the years and opened and i kept getting Mm -hmm. a broader view and um, I think it's meaningful that you can't cover every level. You can't be involved with every issue. But if you pick a few things that you're really following and on 
track with great you know like i usually follow okc school board and the state legislature and i'm just kind of mm-hmm. almost ignore the city and almost ignore federal because i just can't handle being in depth at all those levels mm-hmm. but that people be okay with that right. you know i think sometimes people feel like it's their, their responsibility to be a, a full-time advocate or something right. you know on that note i'm gonna wanna pull out an end here but i that's a great segue to a reminder that i forgot about at the top of the episode that on um march 26th that's a tuesday we are having an event at the Tower Theater at 6 p.m. It's called 321 Council Contact. Did you guys watch 321 Contact on PBS? Nobody? I, I don't understand the reference. Man, okay, no one has got this so far, and I'm really bummed that my poster was so awesome. Um, anyway, go look up <laughs> 321 Contact. It was a great show on PBS when I was a kid um, as the eldest millennial. Anyway, 321 Council Contact. We're going to have uh, new newly elected city council members, uh, Joe Beth Hammond, uh, James Cooper and Nikki Nice, so wards nice. two, six, and seven, right? Uh, and they are going to join us at the Tower Theater. Scott and I, representing Let's Pod This, going to partner with uh, Stephen, Aaron, and um, John from the Wafty Show, um, also from Mostly Harmless Media. Our team, yeah. So we're going to set it up. They're going to be a little. We're going to ask the hard hitting questions. They're going <laughs> to ask some irreverent questions. <laughs> And uh, it's going to be a chance for citizens to engage with city council members. And honestly, uh, Senator, no disrespect, but you represent roughly 80,000, 70,000 people, right? Yeah, 75. Mm -hmm. But I think city council members might represent more people. Like they have bigger districts. Not all the districts are. six. It'd be under 100, but yeah, they'd probably probably more. And I don't think people realize that city council Mm -hmm. is so big and has so much purview of different things, right? Like you guys have kind of different areas and so this is a great chance if you have if you live in districts two six or seven um, if you're not sure go to okc.gov and look it up and find out which district you're in pretty much it's a big chunk of the northwest and northeast side of town uh, but then come to the tower theater it's a free event tuesday march 26th and uh, hang out we'll have food and drinks and a fun time it's gonna be a good time but uh senator thank you so much for sure. coming on the show and uh entertaining our Entertaining our, entertaining our musings. Glad to. That's Glad right. to. See you at the Capitol. Thank you. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Pod This on Apple Podcasts because that helps other people discover us and be better informed. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This Okay. Scott is at SC Melson. I am at Andy OKC. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Let's Fix This Okay. Our website is letsfixthisok.org, and on there you can sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, find resources and details about upcoming events. You can also read the blog post that we post with each podcast episode. So any articles we discuss or links we talk about, we put on there as well as maybe a brief summary in case you want to tell your spouse about it. That'd be cool. Um, Our podcast is edited and produced by, well, Scott and me, but we are a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. And our theme music is provided by the Sugar Free All Stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government. We encourage you to get involved in any way you can. And remember that decisions are made by those who show up. We'll see you next week.